0: Lesson 3 is entitled, Rebellions Against God and His Gifts. Uh, We're going to see that as a constant theme throughout all the book of Numbers and beyond, even into the historical books. Israel rebels against God all the time. We saw it in Exodus, as a matter of fact. So it's just continuing, more of the same. But we're going to be looking at chapters 11 through 14, or at least the bulk of chapter 14. And before we dive into verse 1 of chapter 11, I want to just do a quick little overview and touch base a little bit with the typology that we're looking at, the spiritual typology and the spiritual applications for us reading these verses. I had quoted, St. Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 and following in previous lessons about how all of this is written down for our instruction, all right? So just a quick, quick overview about all the rebellions in general. It turns out that there are a round, not a round, but a specific, a round number of 10 rebellions in the book of Numbers. Now 10, this is significant for a couple of reasons, I think. 10 is the number of perfection, totality, and completion not seven by the way seven is the number of the covenant it's rooted in the hebrew word uh, to swear an oath and so people often get this mixed up i mean seven could be a number of completion perfection but if it's in relation to the covenant first ten is the number of perfection totality and completion so the fact that you have ten rebellions listed here in the book of numbers is interesting because one it is a strong contrast to the ten commandments I think, you know, when God gives 10 commandments to Israel and to all of us, you know, the natural law is divinely revealed at Mount Sinai. Uh, There are 10 commandments. Now, there are 10 rebellions. Now, there are not 10 rebellions, one rebellion for breaking each commandment. That would be pretty interesting. That's, that's not as clean as that. I just think that there is this comparison, this contrast that basically Israel is rebelling against God all the time, breaking his commandments all the time, and it's going to not bode well for them. All right. Now, 10, because it's the number of perfection totality, and there are 10 rebellions, it's very significant because numer Uh, The numerology, the symbolism is that Israel is perfectly, completely, totally rebellious against God. They have hard hearts. uh, They have uh, this propensity to always reject him uh, that is complete and total, all right? So it is, in fact, we're going to see the whole first generation is going to die in the wilderness. We'll talk about that towards the end of this lesson. It is a very sad symbolism going on. They are totally, completely hard-hearted. So there are 10 rebellions in Numbers. We're going to see later on, there's kind of a, a doubling of this number because in, in one of the rebellions, God is going to say, they've rebelled me these 10 times. I'm kind of ahead of myself right now, but that is another mentioning of another a group of 10 rebellions against God. So the fact that it's doubled is significant. Like, you know, Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you. In scripture, when there's a doubling, it means like the thing is it's it's set, right? And so Israel's heart is set against God. All righty, well, these rebellions in the book of numbers there's it's interesting especially as you begin with the first rebellions that they that they commit there's an echo of exodus before they travel to mount sinai there's a series of rebellions And we talked about that in the Exodus Bible study. They're at Mount Sinai for a year, and now when they leave Mount Sinai, there's another series of rebellions. And so the little commentary I have for you, footnote number two says, the stories on the journey to Mount Sinai and the journey from Mount Sinai have many similarities, such as the manna, water from the rock, Moses' inability to rule the people by himself. Uh, I would also add in there the quails. I think that's significant because... As Israel is journeying towards Sinai and God is leading them towards the covenant at Mount Sinai, they're rebelling against God and they're trying to learn to trust him. They don't do so well. But then they have the covenant with God at Mount Sinai. They swear to follow him. They swear to to keep the ordinances and the commandments of God and they have this covenant. But when they leave, it really shows you how they haven't really changed. They're the same hard-hearted people. And that's a really sad reality to reflect upon after encountering God on the mountain and receiving his graces and seeing his signs. They're they're no different. All right, so we're going to see these 10 rebellions. We're going to look at rebellions number one through four here, and we'll continue the rest in future uh, lessons. Um, but an old friend of mine, a colleague of mine, he once called uh, this whole sequence the ultimate family vacation from hell. It's <laughs> it's it's pretty sad. There's all these rebellions. In fact, I like to joke also, you can kind of turn this into a drinking game, right? Every time you see a rebellion, you got to take a shot or you got to take a you know swig of beer or whatever it is. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that because there are 10 and uh, that's going to go to your head really, really quickly. Um, but it, there's a lot of, there's kind of like a little dark humor in all of this as well as God is trying to deal with this rebellious people. And that actually is a good a good segue uh, to our application as we read these stories and we want to bang our head against the wall a lot of people when i teach this they're like gosh what is wrong with these israelites they're committing the same sins over and over and the thing that i teach people and i have to reflect on myself is that we are israel this is a common refrain for many teachers of scripture we are israel and so if you want to bang your head against the wall i like to say bang it against a mirror Don't break the mirror, obviously, but bang it against the mirror because it's a reflection of us and our human condition and our propensity to rebel against God over and over again. So just as they go through the waters of the Red Sea or they see all God's wonders and signs and God delivers them from slavery and they go through the waters of the Red Sea and they are fed by manna and they encounter God in the covenant and all this stuff, and then they go into the wilderness and they rebel against him, that can happen to us as well. You know, we in our journey through the wilderness of life, we have trials and temptations and tests and tribulations. And we must not be like Israel, but often we are, but we must not be like them. We shouldn't crumble, we shouldn't uh, murmur and complain and rebel against God. When things get tough, we cling to him in patience. You know, we don't w- we don't want to desire to go back to Egypt. We don't want to go back to slavery. Because we think it's easier and we idealize with rose-colored glasses the life that we used to have. We need to fight the good fight. So this is a good reflection for our spiritual life as well. When we go through all these different uh, rebellions and murmurings and stuff, it's, it's us. It's a picture of us. It's a picture of the church. And uh, it's even worse, actually, because you know uh, when we can go see God's signs and we go through the waters of baptism and receive the Eucharist and, and we go through life, we, we just have to be it's so easy to turn away from God. And so, uh, this quote here that I have for you from one of your commentaries says, quote, the experiences of the people of God during their desert pilgrimage helps us to understand the life of the new people of God. Advancing through trials and tribulations, the church is strengthened by God's grace, promised to her by the Lord so that she may not waver from perfect fidelity. Uh, that's the Navarre Bible quoting the uh, the Vatican II, talking about Elimagenzium, and, and that's just so, so true. So, we need to be aware of this. We're going to experience hard times and tough times but we just need to be patient. So studying this is gonna be very, very applicable, whether you're in the season of Lent, uh, which I'm in right now, uh, we are right now, or you're just studying this at an ordinary time or whatever it is. Their 10 rebellions reflects their total hard-heartedness, and we cannot be like them. All right, so with that then, let's study the first three rebellions that are recorded in chapters 11 through 12. And I want to begin uh, by reading this this quote here for you in your notes. It says, the immediate purpose of these events is to contrast the God who is present in his camp to bless his people, so that would be chapters 1 through 10, with the God who is present in his camp to judge whoever a group or individual attempts to shatter the harmony of the community. All right, and that's going to be a theme we're going to see throughout this this whole story, right? God is there in his justice or in his mercy, and You know, we can choose, right? God wants to bless us, which is what you see in chapters one through 10. We discussed that in the last lesson. God wants to bless us. Everything kind of hinges and centers upon that beautiful priestly prayer, the Aaronic blessing. Uh, he wants to bless us if we will let him if we will obey him but if we disobey there will be disciplines there will be punishments that are remedial uh, they're, they're they're meant to wake us up and sober us up and we experience the consequences of our own actions really and then we co- we're supposed to turn back to god all right so we're going to see how god wants to bless israel but they keep turning away and so god is going to have to discipline them and that's the word that moses uses in deuteronomy i think that's the best word punishment of course is important as well so the first rebellion, let's read chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. It says, The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outerlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire abated. So the name of that place was Tabarach, because of the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now, you can check the map that I gave you, the map that's in with your syllabus for this course, and you can see where some scholars, or at least it's considered to be where this took place, Tabarah, the place name is not very creative, as is often the case in the Bible. Uh, Tabarah means fire, blaze, or burning, and so they're like, oh, well, there's the burning of the Lord, so let's just name it Burning of the Lord. So in any case, you could check out that map and see where this is, and it's very, very close to where they think Mount Sinai is because... This is only three days after they left we know that from chapter 10 verse 33 they went out from the mount of the lord a three days journey and the ark of the covenant went before them a three days journey to seek a resting place for them so it's very very close to mount sinai and now they're beginning to to rebel and to complain and grumble and so they were very comfortable at sinai for over a year and now they're going into the wilderness where things are going to get a little bit tough Again, there's so many applications to us all the time. When times get tough, when things get tough, it's easy for us to grumble and complain and say, God, where are you? And God, why'd you do this? So now they're complaining about their misfortunes of the desert life. Now, I always kind of wonder, like, what misfortunes? Like, really, God delivered you from Egypt. And he made the Egyptians give you all of this wealth, right? So you're very wealthy people after they gave you gold and silver and uh, coins and fabric and all this kind of stuff. You've been there at Mount Sinai. You have a covenant with God at Mount Sinai. You're eating heavenly bread, You're doing all this stuff. Yeah, you're out in the wilderness. And to be fair, you're, you're under the hot sun. So it's hot during the day. It's freezing at night and you don't have easy food and easy water. And that's true. Things are getting tough here. And that's really what they're complaining about. But they're forgetting God's signs. They're forgetting how God has been with them this entire time. So we got to be careful, you know, very quickly after when we leave the comfort of our own home or the comfort of a situation, things get tough, we rebel, we complain, we murmur. So it's a sin against hope. It's a sin against gratitude. It's a sin against trust and faith. We have to be very careful of this. So God sends this fire to the edges of the camp. Now, I find that really interesting that this very first brief rebellion the fire goes to the edges of the camp where maybe some of the rebellions took place you have to be careful when it comes to complaining and murmuring and grumbling because or even small sins in general because if you don't take care of them they will quickly grow into the center of the camp or the center of your life as we're going to see actually here really really soon so the fire comes on the outer edges of the camp Moses intercedes and the fire abates it's a very brief thing but this sets the pattern for us for the rest of this book. The pattern is they sin, and then there's punishment, Moses intercedes, and then there's relief. Okay, And then sometimes there are actually more laws that are given, as we're gonna see too. So sin, punishment, intercession, and relief. There's a little bit of a parallel with the book of Judges, uh, which you can consult in the Salvation History introduction, but the book of Judges is coming very, very soon. Uh, I'll, I'll have a Bible study on that. So first rebellion, you got the pattern that's going to happen over and over and over again. Now let's go to the second rebellion in verse four. It happens immediately after. It says, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. You can underline or circle the word craving there. The people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish and we ate, that we ate in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers and melons and leeks and the and the onions, and the garlic. That sounds like quite a spread, right? It sounds delicious. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. (laughs) it's dark humor here. So they're just complaining about food, right? Their limited menu options is what they're complaining about. You know, they have the same thing over and over again, and now they're craving the food that they had in Egypt. Now, that word craving is significant. It really kind of evokes the... Uh, the concupiscence of the desires of the flesh to satiate their bodily desires. And what they're doing is they're idealizing Egypt. They're idealizing these disordered attachments that they had. And the fact that though they were crying out in slavery and, and Pharaoh was killing their Hebrew boys, their children, and they were certainly being abused uh, by all the taskmasters, they still, oh, it's okay, so long as my belly is full. Boy, there's a lot to say about that. You know, God, uh, Saint Paul talks about in his epistles. You know, the, they worship their belly, right? And we do this all the time too. So long as we're satiated in our in our bodily desires, and we we can fill our bellies and we're full, then you know it's okay if we're in slavery. So long as we get food to eat, and that's and that's what's going on here. They desire the food despite, despite the fact that they were in slavery to Pharaoh and to Egypt. And so God has been giving them this manna and they say, Oh, we have nothing but this manna to look at. And it's it's this rebellion is deeper than just kind of getting tired getting tired of eating the same thing. You know, like in a family, like what often happens sometimes in our family, we get really, really busy and we can't menu plan. And so we make pasta, right? And then so the kid's like, oh, pasta again? Gosh, I don't want pasta again. It's like the, the, the Israelites, are like, oh, manna again, all right? Now the manna, is, is more, it's more than just that, okay? It's not the same old pasta over and over again. The manna was miraculous, as you well know, um, but you may not know that wisdom chapter 16 talks about how the manna suited every taste, it doesn't matter like what you wanted, uh, what you wanted it to taste like. It always tasted the best to you. So, wisdom chapter sixteen verse twenty says, "You gave your people the food of angels." That's beautiful right there. The food of angels is what the manna is called. And without their toil, you supplied them from heaven with bread ready to eat, providing every pleasure and suited to every taste. So when you read the account in Exodus about the manna and here are numbers, you know, so it could taste like, you know, coriander seed and, or oil or honey or, you know, I like to think of it as Nilla wafers or whatever. But the point is it tasted perfect for you, Right. It tasted perfect for you because it was this miraculous bread. But nevertheless, for 13 months now, they've been eating it, you know, and they've been trying to prepare it in different ways. You could boil it or you could bake it. You can grind it up. And they've been making banana bread for all this time. And they've been making manicotti for all of this time, making it in all these different ways. And now they're sick of it. All right. Now they're sick of it. But the deeper meaning is what the manna represents. The manna is a foretaste of, of the promised land the manna tastes like these wafers with honey or you know like milk and honey vanilla wafers i like to joke because it is a foretaste of the promised land that flows with milk and honey all right and it's a it is a the, the land that flows with milk and honey the center of the land is is god it's rest at sabbath rest with god who gives the people the land so when you reject the manna, you're rejecting the land. And when you reject the land, you're rejecting that covenantal Sabbath rest with God. You're rejecting communion with God. That's a big deal. So it's not like a kid saying, I, mean, I don't want pasta and get another night uh, for dinner. It's I'm rejecting this manna that God has given to me. I'm rejecting his gifts. And therefore you're rejecting the giver of the gifts as well. That's what's happening here. And there's more significance for us. So if the manna, as we talked about in the Exodus Bible study, if the manna is a clear, very obvious type of the Eucharist, you can apply the same principles. If you reject the Eucharist, which is a foretaste of the promised land of heaven, then you're rejecting heaven itself. If you reject Christ in the Eucharist, you're rejecting Christ himself all right that's a big big deal you do not want to be rejecting the eucharist which is one of the god's greatest gifts to us as we wander in our wilderness of life god is sustaining us throughout all these trials and tribulations and testings with his own body blood soul and divinity and so we can't reject that whether you're rejecting the teaching of transubstantiation because you're not a catholic or if you are a catholic you reject it you don't believe it that's highly problematic or unfortunately a lot of people will say you know they go to mass like i didn't get nothing i didn't get anything out of mass i got nothing out of mass and they kind of complain and they grumble right and you can see the parallels so easily so they're complaining and grumbling that they got nothing out of mass now granted mass can be said very poorly absolutely but despite that fact if it's still a valid mass you've got the eucharist you've got the bread of angels you've got the bread of life So God gives us himself. Jesus gives himself to us in the Eucharist. And so when we say we got nothing out of mass, that's a huge affront and an insult to God who gives himself to us. So we're rejecting the gift and we're rejecting the giver as well. So we have to be very, very careful. We have to be careful not to complain, not to grumble, uh, not to murmur against God and his gifts. So, all right, there's a lot of good stuff there. You know, teach and preach to too much about that or maybe not too much take that to prayer take that to prayer and and don't don't grumble against the new manna the Eucharist the bread of life okay